0: You are listening to the First Baptist Jinx podcast. To learn more about FBC Jinx, including our gathering times, visit us online at fbcjinx.org. Today's talk comes from Pastor Rick Fry. Well, good morning. Let me welcome you. We're excited to have you here this morning. Those of you that are joining online, thank you for joining us as well. And wow, what a I, I love that new song Carson uh, taught us today. I tell you, it's uh It fits so well into what we're going to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn, if you will, please, to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 17 today. And I always enjoy this time of the year because tomorrow at 9 a.m. we start Vacation Bible School and we will have literally hundreds upon hundreds of boys and girls here that's going to get the chance to hear the gospel. And so I want to encourage you to pray with us and pray for David and the staff as uh, this week kicks off. It's going to be an exciting week. And can't wait to see what God is going to do. We're in the book of Colossians. As I said, we're now in this third chapter. One of the things I love about Paul's writings is that you'll discover that typically when Paul writes, the first half of his letters usually deal with doctrine. The last half deals with application. That's no different than the book of Colossians. And here in this particular passage of Scripture, he does the very same thing. He's going to talk about truth. He's going to talk about doctrine. But then he's also going to talk about duty. This morning, I've titled today's message, The Influence of Our Choices. You've heard me say for years that we're all one choice away from stupidity. But I will tell you, there is power within your choice. And I believe that what Paul is doing here, Paul really begins by writing in such a way that he wants you to understand what we're going to talk about today is necessary to produce life change and transformation. And he goes to three immediate areas. First of all, he talks about the mind. Secondly, he talks about the will. And thirdly, he talks about the affections, our emotions. So we're going to plunge in this morning. The first thing that he says is what we think. What you'll discover is that Paul understood that the mind literally is the soul's eye. What he means by that is this, that if change is going to take place in your life, it doesn't start, first of all, in your emotions, but it first of all starts in the way that you think. It's taking place in the arena of your mind. I will tell you that when you begin to think about this, you have to look at it from the perspective of, do you and I really and truly want to conquer sin? If that's the case, then you've got to make a choice. And that choice is, first of all, in the way that you think. How badly do you want to win the victory? How bad do you want to overcome the addiction or the habit or the sin within your life? Well, Paul says, first of all, you've got to make up your mind. Look what he says in verses 1 and 2. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your, and you ought to underline this, your minds on things that are above, not on things that are upon the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. And I want you to circle the little word F for a moment. F is what we call a conditional statement in the Greek language. What it means is it actually could be translated since you have been changed. So what Paul does, he lays the foundation, and he says, listen, you've got to, first of all, embrace the reality that you are where he is. In the past, you've heard me talk about our position in Christ, that right now, you and I are seated with him in the heavenlies. If your mind does not accept that reality, that right now, positionally in Christ, I'm seated with him in the heavenly. So in other words, I need to begin to think from a heavenly perspective rather than a worldly or an earthly perspective. If you never settle that issue within your mind and you're always struggling with that, then I got news for you. You're gonna always struggle with sin. You're gonna struggle with the dirt and the mess that you, if you will, create within your life. Paul says, wait, listen, your Christianity starts with, first of all, viewing yourself being perfect in him. Now, I know the first thing you're gonna say is, man, I ain't perfect down here, and no, that's true. We all struggle with sin. We know that none of us are perfect, but you, first of all, must embrace the reality that you and I have been raised with Christ. Isn't that what he said over in Romans chapter 6, verse 4? He says, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in this newness of life. In other words, what Paul is reminding every one of us is that resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ literally from the grave, guess where it resides? It lives in you right now. Man, that even ought to make Baptist shout, amen? That resurrection power that raised Jesus back to life again lives in you. In other words, you and I are not helpless when it comes to sin, You and I have been raised with him. We're seated with him right now in the heavenlies. We operate from his victory, not our victory. The power of sin, according to the word of God, has been broken. And that power is available for you to lift your head up, begin to operate out of that victory that you have in Christ Jesus. Now look at the latter part of verses 1 and 2. He says, man, you've got to think from eternity. You don't think toward eternity you think from eternity. Why? Because you have been raised with him. And now you're seated with him right now in the heavenlies. In other words, what Paul is saying is that eternal life does not begin when you die, but eternal life begins when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, positionally. The reality is right now, if you're saved and you're here in this room this morning, positionally, you should live, listen, From a heavenly perspective. Because right now, positionally, you are seated with Christ in the heavens. We've been raised with him. We've been seated with him. That resurrection power is available to you. The question is, are you thinking not toward eternity, but from eternity? Now, what he does here, he now gives you two dominant commands. Listen to what he says. He says, think on these things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What does he mean by that? What he's saying is that you got to look for that which is eternal and that which is enduring. In other words, you and I ought to be living lives as a believer today that is dominated by the pattern of heaven. So in other words, if you and I are seated with Christ in the heavenlies and we're living a life that is dominated by the pattern of heaven, that means that when I I don't look at life through the lenses of the worldview. I don't look at life the way everybody down here tells me I ought to be living it. But I look at life and view life from a heavenly perspective. He says, seek the things. In other words, this must become passionate. It's where you build this moral perspective that is enduring. In other words, we don't set our things upon the things that are transcendent, those things that are temporal, those things that never last. And it's easy to do. We live in a world today that says focus on your career, focus on your money, focus on your education, focus on all those things. And I'm not saying those things are not important in of themselves, but as a follower of Christ who is saved and born again, he says your priority must be what? You must be seeking that which is enduring and that which is eternal. You may look at me this morning and say, Rick, why is that? Because there is no lasting transformation, only in human goals. You can have all the goals there is to succeed in life, and there will never be a transformation that happens in your life. The only thing that lasts forever is eternal stuff, period. Those are the things that are enduring. Now, look at the second command that he gives. He says, set your mind. The idea that Paul has here is that you need to orient your thinking on that which is eternal and enduring, If there's anything I have discovered through pastoring through these 52 years is so many of us as believers, we're just conflicting people. You go, what do you mean by that? Well, there is the clash of the worldview that comes into your mind and the way that you think. And we begin to think, well, I've got to please everybody. or If I'm going to be successful, I've got to do this or I've got to do that. We've not made up our minds. Now, listen to me who we are. We allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. We allow the world to squeeze us into its thinking. In other words, do we really know what we should be and ought to be? Or is it more about just pleasing people? And I've seen Christians get in fetal positions when we lose something, (laughs) literally, that is temporal. I mean, the whole world is crashing in. And to be honest with you, if you get real honest, our American brand of Christianity is so fragile. It really is. We get out of source when people don't agree with us, don't vote like us. What Paul is trying to convey to us, listen church, is that the taste and the flavor of heaven should be all around you and I as a child of God. What makes us normal, what makes us resilient people today has to do with eternity, not down here upon this earth. And so the question that all of us need to ask ourselves as a believer today is what am I looking for? What do I really want out of life? What are you looking for today? There are people today who have everything in the world and yet they're still unhappy. And the reason why they're so unhappy is because they have placed all of their happiness and their joy upon stuff where they live, where they work, what they drive, what they wear. And so somehow we've, we've bought into the world's philosophy thinking that money and recognition and acceptance is going to bring you happiness. What Paul says is, no, listen, set your mind on those things that are above. The only way to ever have victory over sin within your life or my life is that you and I have to become so determined and the dominant thinking of our mind and heart is this. I'm going to set my mind and heart on those things that are above and not those things upon this earth. If I don't, I'm going to always struggle with sin. Look at the next thing he says. He says, then he says, you got to rest in your identity. Pick it up in verses 3 and 4. He says, this is who you are. For you have died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You ought to mark out beside, this is your identity. Number one, you have died. Did you catch that? The moment of salvation, the moment that you are saved, you have been rendered dead to the evils of the flesh. You say, wait, 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 just a minute. You don't understand. I still struggle with sin. I do too. We all do. But listen to what he writes in Romans 6, chapter 11. He says, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What Paul is doing here, he's talking about our death. And Paul speaks over against the knowledge of the crucifixion. So keep this in mind. Do you understand that when a a Roman soldier would sign the death certificate, of a person who's being crucified, they did not sign the death certificate at the end when they're dead. They signed it at the beginning when they're being crucified. In other words, it was as good as though you were dead. So when Paul writes this, he writes this with his mind and his heart thinking about the crucifixion. So he, when he says, consider yourself to be dead, consider that the power of sin has been broken in your life. Why? Because Jesus is more powerful than any sin and any temptation that you and I will ever face. And you better believe that. So he says, quit giving in to it. Consider yourself to be dead. death certificate has already been signed when you got saved. So you rest in the reality. He says you have been hidden. I love that word because it means concealment or safety. Do you think for one single moment that the Father doesn't love you? Do you think for one single moment as a child of God that he's not gonna take care of you? Now I know that when you get in the middle of a sin and a struggle and a heartache and a disappointment, it feels like the world is caving in on you. But he hasn't forsaken you. He's still with you through the midst of it. And then look what he says. He says that we are destined for Glory. I hear somewhat the echo of Romans 8 here when he says, who and what shall separate from the love of Christ? And it'll ruin to deal with him forever. So the question is this, what are we thinking about when it comes to our Christianity? Do we really and truly live and believe that we've been raised with him? Where and what is the direction of your mind? So he says, you and I should think based upon reality. You are seated with him in the heavenly. Secondly, he says, but there's some things you need to reject. So there's some things you need to think, but there's some things you need to reject. Now here's what we call the duties of grace. This is what I call the responsibility. He says what you ought to reject is all sinful, ungodly, don't miss this, responsibilities, ungodly behavior. This is what you reject, all sinful, ungodly behavior. Look at this, verses five and nine. He says put to death. Now, family, this is not something that he does for you. Did you catch that? This is something you have to choose to do. This is the influence of your choices. You put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desires, covetousness, which is adultery, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked. This is where you used to live before you got saved, when you were living in them. But now... You make the choice. You must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. The, word, the, the, the phrase or old self, he's addressing this to believers. In other words, he says, hey, you, you get this stuff off. This means there's a determination. There's a will within your heart and life. I am more bound, more bent, more determined To get rid of this. Now notice again verse five. What does he say? Put to death. In other words, don't play with sin. Don't play with it. Stop playing with it. It's almost as though that Paul is saying, you've got to make a choice and a decision to declare war on sin. You go after it and what do you do with it? You kill it. Now, let's get real honest and real transparent for a moment. Some of us have accommodated sin so long within our life, it has become a part of our personality. Because you've compartmentalized it, you've justified it. So you not only gossip, you now become a gossiper. We don't only lie, we become liars. We don't only lust, we become lusters. We have accommodated sin in our life to the point that what has happened to us is we will always struggle with sin, listen to me, always, it's always gonna be part of your life till you die and go on and be with Jesus, but you must never accommodate sin. You don't accommodate it. You don't open the doors wide and say, welcome, come on in, have your way with me. In other words, what Paul is saying, there ought to be this victorious hatred. Listen to me. There must be a victorious hatred towards sin. One thing that age does to you and one thing that being in the ministry as long as I have been, it puts a lot of miles on you. And can I just tell you as a pastor through all of my life, I have seen what can happen when we accommodate sin either in our individual life or we start accommodating sin Within our families or even within our churches. I've not said a lot, but I will tell you I'm sure many of you have read and seen what's going on in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. You know what that was all because of? Because we accommodated it. We said, let's just kind of cover over some of this stuff and maybe nobody will ever find out about it. Really? It'll destroy your life, it'll destroy your family, it'll destroy your reputation, it'll destroy your church. Because we compartmentalize this nonsense. You know what Paul said? Put it to death. And we wonder why a lot of times we struggle and we never make progress toward holiness, is because we've made up our minds that we're going to accommodate it. Until you make up your mind that you're going to hate it, go to war against it, and you're going to get rid of it, you're going to go, whatever it takes, I'm going to do it. You've got to make up your mind that you're going to declare war on that sin, that struggle, that habit, that stronghold within your life. And what has to happen, you've got to be willing to grab it by the nap of the neck and drag it out of darkness into light. Some of you are sitting here this morning, and you know. Some of you are closet alcoholics, and you know it. Your wife knows it. Your husband knows it. Your family knows it. And let me tell you something, you need to bring that stuff out, pour it down the drain, get rid of it, and say, I need help because there are people that will help you. And your God is greater than that sin and greater than that temptation. Some of you have hidden addictions, to pornography. The best thing you can do is put the guards on your computer and bring that computer out into the family room so everybody can see what you're looking at and what you're doing. You need to make sure there's accountability on your phone, on your iPad, whatever it may be. But you've got to be willing to say, I'm willing to do whatever necessary is to kill this thing because if I don't, it's going to kill me. It's going to destroy my life. Some of you struggle with the issue of telling the truth and you've got so used to lying that you don't even take yourself seriously any longer and neither does anybody else. Some of you may struggle with your thought life, and then we wonder why in the world we never feel the blessings in the presence of God. I know I'm not being popular right now, but I love you. And then I have to look into the mirror. When I was preaching this sermon or working on it, God just rattled my cage because I know my sin. I know what I struggle with. And I know that it is so easy to compartmentalize it and not put it to death and justify it and, and, and give, give, give proof to it and say, well, it's okay over here because of this and this and this. No, it's not. At some point, you've got to rage war. But you've got to make the choice. Everything, do you realize that we live in a world today that everything around us has accommodates sin? It's no wonder we don't see conversions and people save like we want to. It's no wonder we don't see the fruit of the Spirit of God. So here's the question that every one of us has to ask ourselves, how much do I hate sin or do I hate it at all? Or have I accommodated it? Verse 9, he says, put off. Get rid of it. And the rationale is why we need to do this. Look look what he says in verses 10 through 11. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Here there is not Greek or Jews, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What, what Paul is doing, he's painting this unbelievable portrait here and he's, he's going back and really picking up in verse 1 where he's saying that we have been raised with him and we must think from a heavenly perspective even in terms of our relationships. And next Sunday, you don't want to miss this because we're going to deal with the relationships. And on Father's Day, we're going to talk about the relationship between a a man and a woman, between husband and wife and employer and children. All of these relationships all come back to understand that there needs, that your life, my life, our relationship needs to become a portrait of heaven so that my personal life and your personal life should tell the truth ultimately about your destiny and my destiny. Did you catch just what he said? There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul says get rid of the stuff because others need to see the vision and the taste of heaven. And then thirdly and last of all, he gives the application, he says, what we embrace. He lists four of them. Look at verses 12 through 14. Number one, he says put on love. Verse 12 "...put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved and compassionate hearts, kindness and humility and meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so that also you must forgive. And above all these, and put on love, which binds everything together, notice, in perfect harmony." Paul says, "...love is supreme." Love is what holds and bonds us together. Did you catch what he talked about when he said forgiveness? If, you, if, you've, got complain, if you've got a complaint, you've got an issue with somebody? Listen to me, church. The most healthiest day in the life of First Baptist Church drinks or any New Testament church is going to be when we finally understand it is not about me, it's not about you, it's about the kingdom. And we quit looking in the mirror and going, well, you know, this is what I think. And this is what I think you ought to do. And this is how I think you ought to serve. And this is how I think you ought to live. And no, it's none of your business. It's God's business. Amen? Somewhere we got to get out of this because if not, it's going to kill us. We better wake up. One day we're going to stand before God and God's going, really? You made it about this when it's really about me? I, I, I get amazed sometimes. I've heard people get so upset over some note that wasn't screwed on some bolt correctly, amen? Well, I didn't like this music, or I didn't like this, or I didn't like that, or I didn't like this, or somebody moved the chairs. Really, that's what the kingdom is all about? The greatest mission, endeavor of the church is to love one another. And then he says, put on peace, look at verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule within your hearts to which indeed you were called Notice, in one body and be thankful. This is about peaceful relationships. In other words, you and I ought to fight for peace in our relationships. And I will tell you this, if there's anything I've learned, I had to learn it the hard way, when in question, when in doubt, I wait. God is never the author of confusion. So, pray. Ask God to give you peace. And if God gives you peace in that situation, then you rest in that and you abide in that. And then notice what he says, because peace is the evidence of the Spirit of God's direction and leading. And then he says, put on the Word of God, verse 16 and 17. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns and uh, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The primary application, don't miss this, is that the Word of God should dwell how? In your heart, richly. Do you know what he's saying there? It implies that you're saturated with it, that you can taste it, and others can taste it, and others can see it. It's this delightful, permanent, abiding part of your life. Why? Because you and I cannot be victorious over sin if we neglect the Word of God. There's no way possible. So he says, Let it dwell in you richly. And last of all, he says, Put on the Lordship of Christ. Verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Remember, I, I told you I titled this The Influence of Our Choices. You have to make the choice, and nobody can make it for you, nobody can make it for me, but you've got to decide who's going who's to lead this life. Whose life is it really going to be? Is it going to be mine? Am I going to dictate where it goes and what it does and how it reacts? Or am I going to be one who is totally sold out, 100% committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Nobody can decide that for you. Where is our passion, listen to me, and our, determ- our determination? Are we passionate about the things of Christ or are we more passionate about things of the world? Are we more passionate about soccer and football and basketball and all the things that goes on? Are we really passionate about the truth and the things of God? Do I really and truly want to overcome sin within my life? And what am I embracing? Am I embracing the love and the peace and his word and his lordship? Is that true of me? Is it true of you this morning? Because listen, church, Can you imagine what would begin to happen in the life of First Baptist Church James? If every one of us in this room, just us in this room right now, made the decision I want to begin to live, think, and operate from my position in Christ right now. That I am living and thinking from that heavenly perspective, not the worldly perspective. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it does mean that what happens when you're faced with trials and tribulations and heartache and pain and suffering and whatever else you may face in life, it does mean this, it means that you're going to view it through the lenses and the perception of a holy, righteous God rather than the way the world sees it and feels about it and throws up all over you because it wants to tell you how to live life and what to do and give you horrible, horrible, horrible choices in which to make or do you choose? I am seated with him, and I'm going to live this life from that heavenly perspective. That's what Paul is saying. That's what he's challenging us to do. Because if you're saved, and you're truly born again, that is your position. It's seated with him in the heavenlies. Let's stand. Father, I come to you this morning, and Lord, I pray as we continue to walk through this incredible book and, Lord, that today we're going to be motivated and challenged and encouraged, Father, to step out and truly begin to live out of our position, who we are in Christ. Don't allow the world to suck us into its mold and to the way that it thinks, the way that it lives, the way that it reacts. Father, help us as believers to help us please to to realize it's not about us, it is about the kingdom. And the best way that happens is when I live and operate from that heavenly perspective. So I pray today that you'll speak to hearts for those, Father, that that are watching online, those that are in the overflow, those that are in this room today. There's someone that doesn't know Christ as Lord and as Savior that today, by faith, they would say, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. Come into my life and save me. For those that you're calling to be a part of this church family, by letter, by statement, by baptism, that today by faith they would come and say, man, this is the place that I want to call home. This is the place that I want to deposit my gifts and talents and abilities, and I want to join hands and hearts and arms with believers here. Father, you know what you need to do in our lives. And maybe for some of us, we just finally need to admit, Father, I have lived more from the perspective of the earthly view than I have the heavenly view Thank you for reminding me where I am, that I am where you are, and help me to live my life from that perspective. Speak to hearts today, for I pray that in Jesus' name, amen.